Well, dear congregation, for this evening's message, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 through 13. But before we read God's words, I'd like to invite you once again to bow your head with me and ask the Lord's blessing upon the reading and the preaching of his holy word. So let us pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you once again asking for your blessing upon the reading and preaching of your holy word. We ask, O Lord, that you will bless this time abundantly. And, O Lord, cause your word to go forth like a double-edged sword, especially softening the hardened heart, especially opening our eyes toward our sin, especially causing us to see our need, our desperate need for salvation and for Savior. So Lord, we ask that you pour your Holy Spirit upon us now and help us, O Lord, to taste and see that you are good. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, dear congregation, we'll read from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 through 13. And this is the inspired, therefore infallible, inerrant, sufficient word of God, authoritative, making wise, wise to make us wise unto salvation and for good works. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Well, dearly beloved of God, if you permit me, I want to begin today's sermon by telling you a little bit about myself. That is, I love watching YouTube. I love watching YouTube. You know, I like to use it. I like to watch YouTube for various edifying contents like, you know, Bible project to um, broaden my biblical knowledge or sermon videos of a powerful preacher. I also like to use YouTube to listen to some audio Bibles to redeem my spare time and other, you know, um, informative lectures. But... While I truly enjoy my YouTube experience, 
there is one feature in the YouTube that I really don't care for. That is the endless advertisement that comes up at the beginning and during the video. You know, if you also use the um, YouTube videos, I'm pretty, pretty sure you know what I mean by this. You know, if you are not, if you are like me, you know, I'm pretty sure you don't want to pay for the premium, you know, membership that removes all this um, advertisement, and you will constantly tap that skip button in order to, you know, skip the ads and watch the video without any further interruption. So the story goes like this. Well, one day as I was trying to watch this recorded lecture on YouTube, well, lo and behold, you know, advertisement began to play again. And as I was about to move my finger and tap that skip button, something very fascinating happened. You know, whoever came up with this advertisement, he clearly knew that most of the customer tapped that skip button as soon as the advertisement starts. So as soon as they started the advertisement, this time, an actor suddenly yelled and said, Stop! If you want to know how you can save hundreds of dollars on your insurance, don't press that skip button and listen to this ad. And despite their best effort, I still press that skip button. You know? But... The point was crystal clear. I got the point. You know, the advertisement was trying to tell me that if I skip that and, or dismiss that ad, that I will miss the chance of saving lots of money for my insurance, perhaps even experience some loss. So why am I telling you about my YouTube experience? Well, this evening, we are going to consider one of the most important and well-known passages in the Bible, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 through 13. And I say this evening's scripture passages are very important because this is really where the prophet Isaiah is crying out to his audience, Stop! If you want to know how you can save yourself, don't press the skip button and hear me out. That's what Isaiah is saying in this verses. So why did Prophet Isaiah wanted his audience to stop and listen to what he had to say? Well, if you know a little bit about the historical background of the book of Isaiah, it was written in the time when God's people experienced a serious spiritual and physical demoralization. I mean, the prophet Isaiah lived in the time when northern Israel and southern Judah both experienced a serious moral declination. For a long time, the people of those, these two nations have corrupted themselves with idolatry, sexual immorality, and apostasy from the truth. And as a result... The scripture testifies that God judged the northern Israel and handed the nation over to the Assyrian Empire for their sin, which they never really recovered from. And the prophet Isaiah further prophesied in his book that southern Judah will also experience the same fate as the northern Israel and will be invaded by a foreign nation and that they will be carried captive um, due to their sin. So, Isaiah really ministered during the time of which was 
um, during, the, during a dark and depressive time, a time of impending divine judgment for the nation of Israel. But here's the thing. Isaiah did not only prophesy about the future destruction of the kingdom, but he also prophesied about the future restoration of God's people. And that's where we find ourselves tonight. In Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 13, 6 through 13. In these verses, Isaiah declares a message that his audience does not want to dismiss or does not want to ignore, a message where he is crying out to them once again, do not press the skip button if you want to know how you can save yourself, if you want to know how God is going to restore you. So what was Isaiah's message? Well, if you permit me, without further ado, I want to submit this proposition to you. Dearly beloved of God, in Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 13, the prophet declares a message we do not want to miss as he commands sinners to seek and return to God with promises of forgiveness and peace. The Isaiah declares a message and commands sinners to seek and return to God with promises of forgiveness and peace. So then how does the prophet Isaiah communicate this message we do not want to ignore? Well, first, consider with me the prophet Isaiah, how prophet Isaiah introduces in today's text a command which we do not miss. So let's jump into the first point of today's sermon, a command you do not want to miss. A command you do not want to miss. As he declares in verses 6 through 7, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon so in these two verses, dear congregation, we notice a strong force of command that the prophet Isaiah declares to his readers. The prophet Isaiah commands people to inquire about great Jehovah and cry out to him. He commands his readers to seek the Lord and to call upon him. But here's the thing. Why did the prophet Isaiah write such a command in today's text? Why does he say, seek the Lord and return to God. Well, we know why. Because as I have already mentioned, the prophet Isaiah lived in the time when the people of Israel, specifically southern Judah, lived in a severe moral and spiritual corruption. You know, since the end of Davidic kingdom, since the end of um, the Davidic kingdom in the land, the people of Israel were split into two nations, um, southern uh, northern Israel and southern Judah, and these two nations rapidly slided to spiritual apostasy. You know, and even though southern Judah had several kings who attempted to reform the kingdom um, spiritually, the reality was not that easy. It was actually very harsh. You know, southern Judah had a more successive or continuous line of wicked king that turned the country into a spiritual a den of a spiritual adulterer and worshiper of idols rather than the king who reformed the country worthy of being called the holy and treasure possession of God. So southern Judah 
just slide terribly into spiritual apostasy away from God. So for instance, to give you a little idea about their spiritual apostasy, well, biblical and historical evidence proved that the Israelites departed from the true worship of God and they served Baal, a Philistine god who was in charge or who was considered as a god of fertility and agriculture. And to worship Baal, the historical evidence proved that Israelites participated in a disgusting practice of sexual promiscuity such as bestiality and temple prostitution. So that's what they practice in the kingdom. They practice bestiality and temple prostitution, sexual orgy to worship Baal. And as a matter of fact, there are also various historical evidence that prove that Israelites served a pagan god called Molech, a god who was considered to be goddess of war and sex. And perhaps you know who Molech is because Molech was a god who was responsible for Israelites to practice a horrifying practice of child sacrifice. You know, Israelites practiced the child sacrifice in order to worship Molech near Jerusalem. Now, in fact, one rabbinical commentary records about the practice that was done in the time and says, a hollow statue of Molech was located within the seventh and innermost chamber of the temple. And no one could enter the chamber of the temple without bringing a child for a sacrifice. You know, and the statue had his hand outstretched and holding a copper plate on which was a fire pan. And when a priest placed the child on the copper plate, the priest of Molech, um, placed the child on the copper plate, they kindled a fire pan beneath him. And they sang to the image of Molech, Molech saying, May the sacrifice of child be pleasant and sweet to thee. And why did they sing this song during the sacrifice? Well, so that the parents of the baby should not hear the groans of a child and retract him. You know, this was the kind of practice that was done in the time of Isaiah. People immorally practicing child sacrifice, immorally practicing sexual promiscuity. They were away from God, clinging to idol. They were away from the truth, clinging to the gross practice of lies. And it was in such a context that the prophet Isaiah gave a heartfelt command to the Israelites, saying, give up your abominable practice. Give up your, your wicked ways. Let the guilty abandon his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, inquire Yahweh and return to him. And as we can notice in today's text, this command of Isaiah was a command which Israelites would not or must not wanted to miss because it was a gracious command. I mean, after Isaiah forcefully commanded the Israelites to seek the Lord, he also, comm- he also promised that God could be found. You know, after Isaiah forcefully, with heartfelt cry, commanded the Israelites to cry out to God, he also promised that God is near to them. 
As a matter of fact, Isaiah commanded the Israelites to give up their wicked ways and give up their unrighteous thoughts and that God will graciously forgive their God will graciously pardon their sin. But this may cause us to ask a question. I mean, how is it possible that God could forgive such a people? I mean, after all they have done, is it truly possible for them to be forgiven? We have just heard about Baal worship. We have just heard about practice of Moloch worship. You know, why would God forgive such people of iniquity and wickedness? Well, if you're questioning that, I'm sure you're not alone. I'm sure that many Israelites would have also thought about this when they read the prophet Isaiah's gracious command to return to God because God has abundantly pardoned them. So, in today's text, God himself enters into the scene and explains why he would forgive his people when they return to him. So let's jump into the second point of today's text, a purpose you do not want to miss. A purpose you do not want to miss. As God begins in verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So why would God forgive the iniquity of sinful Israelites? Well, very simply, God answers that question by saying, For, because my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways your ways. In other words, God answers that he does not think as human people do, humans do, and he does not act as humans act. Now then, before I go any further, let me ask you this. How many of you heard these verses before? That my ways are not your ways, your, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I, I, I presume that most of you have heard these verses before. You know, and I also believe that most of you heard these verses being used in the time of discouragement or disappointment. So for instance, when someone does not get a job that he wanted so badly, you know, his Christian friend may come to him and share these verses. Or if someone does not get into a college that she had dreamed of in her entire life, her parents may share these passages to encourage her. You know, I think almost always Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 9 are often used to encourage people and stir them up in challenging and difficult times. But here is the problem, dear congregation. The problem is that that's not what God meant when he said these verses. In the verses 8 through 9, of today's text were spoken by God in the context of Israelites' utter sinful apostasy. God spoke these verses to communicate that He will forgive any sinful Israelites, whoever returns to Him, whoever repents to Him, because forgiveness is His determined purpose. Because forgiveness is His determined purpose. 
And that's why he continues to declare in verses 10 and 11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it, that is, in light of verses 6 and 7, to abundantly pardon repentant sinners. While a man may refuse to forgive one who sinned against him, but God will abundantly forgive all who sin against him because it is his purpose. A man may refuse to see or speak to a man who has offended him, but God says he will welcome whoever offended him or offended his righteous rules and embrace him in his fatherly arm only if they return to him because that is his purpose. That's what God meant when he said these verses that his purpose is not like our thought, his way is not like our ways. He wants to forgive and embrace all repentant sinners. And for this reason, the prophet Isaiah concludes his prophecy with the wonderful promise of restoration and hope. So very briefly, let us explore the third point of today's sermon, a promise you do not want to miss. A promise you do not want to miss. As Isaiah begins verse 12, For you shall go out in joy, and be led forth in peace. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. So in these verses, we notice that the Lord further explains His determined purpose of forgiveness that goes beyond of forgiving sinners. In fact, verses 12 and 13 tells us that the Lord's purpose for sinners is to make them go out in joy and cause them to be led forth in peace. So to put it simply, today's text tells us that God promises that repentance sinner will receive joy and peace from God. But this ought to raise an important question for us. That is, how is it possible? I mean, how is it possible that not only repentant sinners can be forgiven, but also that they will go out in joy and be led forth in peace from God. Well, you might be wondering, what do you mean by this? Why are you even questioning that? Well, let me tell you what I mean by that. I mean, after all, shouldn't holy God just drive away sinners when they come to Him? After all, shouldn't just God punish wicked sinners when they come before His holy throne? then how is it possible that God is, uh, God is forgiving them as if He is simply sweeping all of their deeds, wicked deeds, under a rug? I mean, what is this seemingly cheap-looking forgiveness of sin that He's declaring in today's passages? Well, what we need to understand right now is that God It's not sweeping wicked deeds of sinners under the rug. When he freely commands sinners to come and seek him and to find them. 
Well, the scripture testifies that God will forgive and restore sinners because someone has already paid the wages of their iniquities and wickedness on their behalf. So if you have a Bible with you, please turn with me to Isaiah 53. So two chapters before today's text, Isaiah writes of a mysterious man and how this man is going to pay for the sins of um, wicked sinners and repentant sinners. So beginning from verse 1, Isaiah writes, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arms, that is the arm of salvation of the Lord, been revealed? For he, a mysterious man, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should be desiring him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And Isaiah says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with him his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So returning to today's text, God's determined purpose of forgiveness, joy and peace for sinners, was not given at zero cost. Instead, the scripture testifies that repentant sinner can be forgiven because God has paid an infinite and unimaginable cost for their sin. This mysterious God's sin bearer has carried the sinner's grief and sorrow so that they may have joy. This mysterious God's sin bearer was smitten and afflicted by God, pierced for sinner's transgression and bruised for their sin so that repentant sinner can be led forth with peace and wholeness. Just like one of my favorite theologians, Horatius Bonar said, it was at the cost of another's life and another's death that Isaiah could declare in verse 12 and 13 that the everlasting sign will be established by God when the sinners return to him. But then, having said that, there's one last question remaining to be asked, which perhaps I believe be the most important question of all, that is, how can we apply today's text in our lives? I mean, is today's text even relevant for us? After all, Isaiah was a Jew, and he wrote in the time of Old Testament and in the Jewish context, So does this text still matter for us? Well, the answer to that question is yes. 
Today's text, dear congregation, is applicable for us. In fact, it is more than relevant and more than applicable for us who live in 21st century America because just like the Israelites, we are equally condemned and guilty sinners who are in desperate need of salvation. Just like Israelites, we need salvation. We need abundant pardon from God. Sure, not many of us serve visible idols like ancient Israelites do, did with Baal and Molech. Sure, not many of us, or I hope none of us, practicing, um, participate in a disgusting practice of child sacrifice or sexual orgy like the ancient Israelites did. But the truth of the matter is that every one of us Every single one of us has idols of our own making in our hearts. The plain fact of the matter, dear congregation, is that we all have secret sin that we cherish intentionally and unintentionally in the private sector of our life. Well, the Lord commands, you shall not commit adultery. But, some of us, perhaps some of us may often plunge ourselves into sexual promiscuity, such as watching pornography in a secret place. The Lord commands, you shall not covet. But perhaps some of us may be um, practicing or may be guilty of jealousy, um, being jealous of neighbor's car, neighbor's house, fame, or income without being content with what the Lord has given to us. The Lord commands, you shall not have other gods before me. But I think it's safe to say many of us, many of us see ourselves as kings and queens of our own lives even though we may profess with our lips that God is our king. And dearly beloved, it is to such people, it is to such people like that the Lord commands, Seek me while I, am found, my, while I may be found. Return to me while I am near. And I will abundantly pardon your sin. And we must trust in such a gracious invitation and command of God. Because God has sent His sin bearer a mysterious man who bore our sins and paid for all our iniquity to accomplish his determined purpose of forgiveness. The New Testament testifies that God has sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And he testifies that he was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. It then also testifies that Jesus Christ died upon the cross, pierced for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity, willingly laying down his life to accomplish God's purpose or God's plan of salvation. So indeed, dear congregation, it was the blood of Jesus Christ that dripped from the cross on the earth that sprang forth the forgiveness of sin. It was the thorn of crown on Christ's head that brought forth the mighty cypress of salvation and peace for sinners. So as I close today's message, dear congregation, 
Here's a message you do not want to miss tonight. And I want to close this evening with this free offer of gospel to you that is purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Young boys and girls, young men and women, and everyone in this church, seek the Lord while He may be found. Return to Him while He is near. And God will abundantly pardon your sin. Let us pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you right now hearing your wonderful commandment where you have commanded us to seek you and draw near to you, return to you, and that when we do, that you will forgive our sin abundantly for your Son has paid for our iniquity, for our sin. So, Lord, I do not know if anybody in this church is in desperate need of salvation. I do not know, Lord, if there is anyone in this church struggling with conviction of sin in their heart. But, Lord, we ask that you will abundantly pour your Holy Spirit in this place. That you will grant conviction of sin in people's heart that they will see and they will realize the desperate need of salvation in their life and that they will seek you and that they will turn to you knowing and trusting that there is abundant pardon available in Jesus Christ. So as we come to you, Lord, we ask that you will continue to bless this service we ask that you will abundantly forgive our iniquities. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.